In old school games, life is cheap. Don't be a dope. Bring your pole, oil, and rope. And try not to go down in a heap. Hey, it's Laren from Updates from the Middle of Nowhere. You were talking about the record with a friend feature, and my husband and I tested that out, and I think... The recording quality might depend partially on what you're recording with. I'm not sure, but he was at home on his computer with his headset, and I was on my phone. And if you listen to my podcast, you can hear a little snippet of me and then him talking, and his quality was much higher. So I'm not sure if that was just that we got lucky with the connection, or if it's that he was on his computer with Wi-Fi and had his headset and I was just on my phone. Anyway, I keep hoping they'll improve that feature. Jason here, answering your question about what your last question, what not to do or pet peeves. Bumper music is fine as long as it's short. And I think most of the Anchor podcasts are really good on that. They don't overdo it. And, and I have to admit, most of the Anchor ones are really creative. I really, and I'm going to, I don't mean to offend anybody by leaving any out, but just quick examples, Thought Eater, I love his intro outros, um, Dave's The Deeper Centile, that song always brings a smile to my face, and of course, you know, yours, you know, who can't smile when you hear Thunder, right? So, as long as it's short, I don't think bumper music's a problem. And for the most part, I don't have any pet peeves about the Anchor Podcast, I really enjoy them, so... I don't know how helpful that is, but keep up the good work. Talk to you later. Bye. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Down and Eat podcast. I'm your host, Rob, podcasting to you live from Northeast Minneapolis in the middle of Labor Day weekend. It's my favorite uh, holiday. It's the kind of ushers in autumn, which is my favorite time of the year. So it's usually really nice weather here in Minnesota. It's always on a Monday, so if you work a traditional work schedule, it means you get a three-day weekend. And best of all, there's no obligations whatsoever. No gift-giving, no family get-togethers, or at least, you know, nothing that seems to be socially conventional that you do that. You're just free to do whatever you want. It's the best. You heard from Liren and Jason at the top of the show. Jason, uh, yeah, I really, I'm biased, but I really like the little unique personal songs that some of the Anchorites have done. You mentioned a lot there that Logan Howard from the Swordbreaker podcast, he did his own, and then he's done theme songs for Froth at Thought Eater and Ray Otis at Plundergrounds, and who am I forgetting, one other one. Oh, he did one for uh, Colin Green at Spike Pit. And then T.J. Drennan, who's more recent to the scene, is very musically inclined from the Triple M and Triple O podcast, and he's kind of contributed with theme songs for Dave at Deep Percentile and Spencer at Keep Off the Borderlands. And now I see Jason Hobbs is using one of uh, T.J.'s songs for Hobbs and Friends, too. So those are all really 
fun songs. Uh, I do like the fact that all of those are short. And as you point out, some of the conventional podcasts do have some really long intro <laughs> music, which the first couple times you hear it is really cool, but then it's like, all right, enough already. Just fast forward through it. Hey, Rob, it's Liren. I'm curious what kind of equipment you guys are using. Like, are you on a phone or a headset, and is your friend on a phone or a headset? I just wonder if that affects sound quality at all. When I um, tested it out with my phone, and he definitely sounded better than I did, but I don't know if that's about who called who or what. Also, oh my goodness, you're so animated. It's awesome. <laughs> I also am enjoying the content a lot. I've often wondered about that because I know that I saw tons of fancy handouts and little figures and stuff at the conference. And I thought, holy cow, people invest a lot of money in this stuff. Hey, Liren, thanks for calling in again. I appreciate it. Yeah, Bill has an iPhone, or I'm sorry, an Android with earbuds and a mic that he picked up really cheap, I think from Target or someplace like that. I called him using my iPhone, so the entire interview was done just with a couple of phones. I do, <laughs> I do probably sound a little bit more animated, I think. I don't know. It's awkward for me just having a monologue and talking on these podcasts, I still kind of haven't got over that, so I'm sure my, well, hopefully my real personality comes through a little bit more when I'm having dialogues rather than me just droning on and on. And as far as props and handouts go, yeah, that's, people can spend a bundle on that stuff, and I guess it all depends on how much you're willing to pay other people to make your props and stuff, and it's a really cool creative outlet, kind of as we were talking on that last podcast, it's almost a hobby within a hobby, and some people are really skilled. Some of the do-it-yourself props I see are just as good, if not better, than something that you could buy off the shelf, but it, I think it can add a lot to your game. It can also get in the way if you, you know go too overboard with it like anything but uh yeah thanks for the call hey rob just stumbled across your down in the heat podcast and just listened to the podcast about podcasts which was really excellent so i've favorited you on the uh, anchor app which i'm all pretty new to i've only just got into it since um i think it was june so just wanted to say for me uh yeah it's the length that matters quite a lot because I've got to commute in in the morning, which is sort of about 45 minutes. So a 40-minute podcast is good there. 10 minutes in the shower in the morning, 10-minute podcast there. So I'm listening to those two durations at the moment. Got a load of sort of 20-minute ones stacked up, ready for when my kids go back to school because it takes me about 20 minutes to walk in and pick them up. So at the moment, I'm on a voyage of discovery, really, so not got a podcast I'm listening to all the time and not really got a subject matter either. And there's another new listener to Down in a Heap, Shandy Andy from the Unguarded Treasures podcast. And thanks for listening, Andy. I also favorited your podcast and listened to all of them. I thought they were really good. So uh, 
go check out Unguarded Treasure B-52, which I believe is the page from BX that that comes up on. Uh, Yeah, A Voyage of Discovery, that's a great way to put kind of surfing around for good podcasts and stuff. I I try not to just dismiss something out of hand. I you know, um it's very helpful when people have a title that's uh catchy or something and especially when they have in the description a good detailed I don't know or concise elevator pitch for that episode. Very helpful. Hope you keep listening. I'll keep listening to you, and let's have some more discussions. Thanks. Hey, Rob. Spiper here. I think you've been doing some awesome episodes recently, as always, really. On the subject of podcasts, there's a few things I'd like to say. I think keep it simple. Possibly some of the best recordings seem to come off of people's phones, It's more about the acoustics of the room that you're recording on. Uh, It it seems to me that phones are actually pretty good for just capturing the spoken word. There's obviously some software optimization and and technical stuff going on behind the scenes. I don't fully understand it. The other thing is, if you're using Android with Anchor, there are some editing facilities. You can do a certain amount of trimming stuff out. and it's just keep it keep it simple, kind of keep it honest, and I think you won't go far wrong. Take care, mate. Hey, Colin, thanks for the call, and thanks for the uh, compliments. I'm glad you're enjoying the show, and I agree totally with you. Punk rock, just keep it simple, say what's on your mind, try and be concise, but, you know, if you end up rambling, uh, whatever. It's not like someone's watching Walter Cronkite here or something. I mean, it's an anchor cast, so... I, I cut people a lot of slack, uh, and <laughs> hopefully some people cut me some slack as well. Hey, Jason here, just with a couple thoughts. Great interview with your friend Bill. Really enjoyed it. Really enjoyed the discussion. I don't think including a, a picture of your character and putting the items where they go is too much. A lot of modern board games do that. You know, you, what's in your right hand goes on the right-hand side of the character, that kind of thing. You know, I don't think that would break anything. Um, as far as news articles go, I was going to run a Knights Black Agents campaign last year that fell through that was going to use real-life news articles. So I would link them to the actual real, you know, the actual paper. You know, in Philadelphia, there's a story about body parts found in trash bags, and there was a story last year about a guy that broke into a haunted house with a sword and a Bible and holy water. I mean, it would depend on your group because it is kind of insensitive to some degree to use real stories for game material. But if everybody's on board, I don't think it'd be that bad. But I really enjoyed your podcast. Keep it up. Talk to you later. Bye. Hey, Jason. I appreciate the call and the kind words that you had to say about the podcast edited with Bill. And to the other people on uh, Audio Dungeon Discord, too, that went out of their way to... um, to have some kind of thoughts about that as well. I know Bill was a little bit nervous about coming on the podcast with me, thinking he might ruin it or something, but <laughs> that's just... I mean, I understand being uh, self-conscious about speaking and having other people listen to it and all that, but I was trying to tell him that uh, there's, <laughs> there's nothing you're going to do that's going to ruin down in a heap. It's just amateur hour anyway, and um, anything he has to say is going to make it better, not worse.
as far as the idea of having items or having like a card to show what's in your hand and stuff, I do kind of like that idea. And I think there are a lot of board game kind of mechanics and and uh, methods that you can tie in with role playing games to help make them better. And I'm always interested in trying to combine those two aspects of gaming. And as far as newspaper articles, yeah, Chris, uh, who runs the Savage Worlds uh, Deadlands Noir game for us, uh, I know he combs old back articles from the New Orleans Times-Picayune from the 30s and has peppered all these things as adventure seeds in for us, and there's some pretty far-out stuff that happened then. And I guess that's going back far enough where I wouldn't think anyone would be... I don't know, affected at all by the fact that they were actual happenings in real life. But anyway, thanks for the call. I might not need to say this again, but I kind of feel like I should. What I'm about to talk about here is based purely on opinion. Nothing in it is meant to invalidate anyone else's opinion or their experiences. What I'm about to talk about is the idea of D6 damage for all weapons and D6 for all hit dice. And that's a throwback to original D&D. And all the retro clones that emulate it, like Swords and Wizardry White Box or Delving Deeper, also use that as the, the standard. The game I play, BX, has that as the, the usual and variable weapon damage is an optional rule. Now that's a optional rule that we've always used, even when we were kids, we used that. But I know one of the guys that we used to play with, Jim Johnson, uh, has become quite enamored with the whole zero edition game and uses just D6 for damage. He moved down to Austin a long, long time ago, and it's, I, don't, I haven't played with him for so long, it's, but, he comes back on occasion to visit family and some of the guys get together and play in his game and I haven't made it to any of those games and I confess in part it's because the idea of d6 damage just doesn't sit well with me I can't wrap my head around it and why it would be any kind of improvement over using variable damage now some of the guys on the audio discord are playing uh, a zero-e delving deeper game in Barrel Maze that's run by uh, Cody M. from the No Save For You podcast. And, and he and Ray from Plundergrounds just did a, a dual cast where they did uh, half of the show on each of their podcasts. And it was a really good look at delving deeper. And I understand their point of view. What The points they're making is that A... So just using D6 damage is more simple. It's maybe freeing in some way. And eliminating some of the fiddly rules of D&D. And B, that it's removing one of the elements of optimization from the game. And rather than choosing your weapon based exclusively on how much damage it does, you're choosing your weapon more on your character concept. And I can understand that. And we've had discussions on Audio Discord. I feel like I've become the variable weapon die 
gadfly or something. Hopefully they don't make me drink hemlock. Um, but, uh, I don't know when I, when I think about it more and really dig into the idea, those arguments just ring really hollow to me. And here's why. First, if you are truly trying to remove elements of optimization, why stop there? Why do you have discrete armor class values for different armor types? If it's good on one side of the ledger, on the damage-dealing portion of the ledger, why is it not okay on the defensive side of the ledger? Shouldn't you just have a binary state there where you're either armored or unarmored? Isn't it optimization to choose plate mail over leather armor? Or a shield and sword rather than a two-handed weapon because they both do the same amount of damage? Further, missile weapons in Delving Deeper and other versions of this, uh, of Zero-E, still maintain the different costs for weapons. So isn't that also kind of fiddly to be mucking around with how much something costs? And why even bother because a dagger does the same as a two-handed sword? Or a cudgel does the same as a halberd? And they also keep the missile range. So a longbow has a longer range than a shortbow. And a shortbow has a longer range than throwing a spear. So isn't it optimization to also choose a weapon that has a longer range? And why is that okay? But dealing damage is different damage types is somehow too fiddly. Now the other thing that's been brought to my attention is that these games also focus on things like weapon length to determine initiative or to determine whether or not someone um, could hold someone at bay or in disarming rules that the, the weights of the weapons can come into play. But is it really any different to memorize the minutia of how much a weapon weighs or how long it is versus the variable damage dice that might be done in conventional versions of D&D or the more modern versions of D&D. And really, it all boils down to this. All those variable weapon damage types are tattooed on my brain. It doesn't require any thought process whatsoever for me to recall that. And I suspect that most of the people that are listening to this and most of the people that end up playing things like Delving Deeper or Swords and Wizardry White Box are also old hands at playing, and all those variable damage types are tattooed on their brains too, so I just don't understand why that is perceived as being some kind of freeing experience. I, I guess I'd have to play to find out, but I don't know. I, I honestly don't understand why that's advantageous. Now, I can see if you're playing with newbies or maybe with kids or something that just having the standard d6 damage would be a good stepping stone to start with and then maybe you introduce variable damage on the next campaign or maybe a few sessions in or something to another argument that's been made is that in original edition and in AD&D 
the combat round was a minute long, which is crazy long to me. And Old Vey Basic, it's 10 seconds. But anyway, the argument running that you could conceivably kill someone with any weapon in that length of time. I mean, you could conceivably strike someone three times with a dagger for every time you wind up with a two-handed sword or something. But if you are modeling it after that kind of line of reasoning, wouldn't you need to make three separate attack rolls with that dagger? And I could maybe even buy into it if you were going along that route. But again, then why don't you have to make separate attack rolls? Why is that different? Why is that more abstract? And you could even make the case that some weapons are actually more deadly than others, the way they have them outlined for damage. Um, maybe a spear should be doing more damage than a sword. And if you have that kind of... I mean, if you've done research or or that's just how you feel, that's fine. But the nice thing about the way it's laid out with variable weapons and cost is that generally you get more bang for your buck. The more expensive a weapon is, typically the more damage it does. Now that doesn't always hold true. Pole arms do a D10 and they're cheaper than other weapons. But, but for the most part, the economics kind of make sense. Some people have also modeled different damage systems with the D6 so that it makes some kind of internal logic so that they're is some incentive to use different types of weapons. So they'll do, like, for a two-handed weapon, maybe the six will explode once. So if you roll a six, you roll another six-sider and add that to it. And if you're using, if you're like a dual wielder, you have a dagger in one hand and a sword in the other, you roll two damage dice and take the better result, kind of like rolling damage with advantage or something. Uh, but to that, I then ask... Well, why continue with the charade of the D6 then? Why not just use variable weapon damage? Um, I, I just really have a hard time wrapping my head around this whole thing. Um, and there, I guess the reason I bring it up is that there, there's another system that's coming around now that I don't know how much traction it will get, but it's uh, the King of Dungeons system by Baz of the Smart Party podcast. And Dave Aldridge over at the D Percentile has been going into that at length. And it looks like Baz has chosen to use straight D6 damage on his new game. And it just leaves me shaking my head why this is somehow seen as so fiddly. But then having all these other fiddly rules like having different character feats and more in-depth initiative somehow isn't fiddly? I don't know. I find the argument a little bit strange, too, on the monster side of the equation, so I don't see why remembering that an ogre does a d6 plus 2 damage is somehow more simple than remembering that an ogre does a d10 in damage. And I don't know. You know, I like rolling all the dice. I guess we have these polyhedrals. We have all of them in hand. 
Is it really difficult to select a different polyhedral and roll it rather than the d6? If you're constantly using a longsword, you just have a d8 that you roll with the 20 when you're making an attack. If you're using a dagger, you roll the d4 with the, the 20 to make an attack. If you're using a mace, you roll a d6. It's all in hand. The characters don't really change weapons much within a specific combat. Maybe they're going from a missile weapon to a melee weapon or vice versa, but it just doesn't come up that much. So I'm not completely familiar with the history of dice evolution and all that, but I suspect the legacy of the D6 is at least in part based around the fact that at the time that original D&D was developed and released, polyhedral dice were scarce, if not completely unavailable. It probably depended largely on where you were in the U.S. or in the world. And if all you have are D6, then you pretty much have to go with chits, which is, I guess, what they did with, with some of the, like, home sets. You got chits. But otherwise, I, I don't really remember there being any dice sets for sale. I don't remember that at all. You got dice sets with the box sets you purchased, so I got my first dice set with my Moldvabe basic set. And I got another set with my Gamma World box, and I think I got a set with my Stormbringer box, and I got a couple 20-siders with my Top Secret box. But otherwise, uh, all you had were like D6s from Yahtzee or Risk or War at Sea or some other Avalon Hill game. So you kind of had to make do with what you had, and I guess from a cynical marketing point of view, maybe the development of the variable weapon dice also walked hand-in-hand hand with when TSR started selling dice separately. Because I think there was a time when they had some kind of, I don't know if it was exclusivity, but that was certainly a portion of their revenue stream. And what better way to market the need for those things than to have the variable damage for weapons. So, I don't know, maybe there is some element to, of marketing driving that decision as well. But if the legacy of the D6 is basically that, that historically they were just hard to come by and that's why they used them, I don't know. I don't really see a point to continuing with that but, you know, I, and again, I know that this obviously is more simple and freeing for some people. They perceive it that way, at least, and, and that's cool. I mean, if, if it's a better game experience for you using D6 for damage, that's fine. I'm, I just uh, haven't really heard a very good argument against some of the points I've brought up. Because really, let, so let's top, talk a little bit about optimization. Now, why is it okay for spellcasters to optimize? Obviously, magic users optimize when they memorize their spells, and so do clerics. They're going to memorize the spells that are most useful. Sleep instead of ventriloquism. Or cure light wounds instead of, instead of purify food and drink. I mean, that's optimizing in a way. And... I just don't really see optimization as a bad thing. I mean, 
if you take a professional warrior or soldier, they're optimizing their choices all the time. They're not going to choose an inferior weapon just because that's what they like, at least for the most part. They want to live and survive and and, uh, and and be victorious. They don't want to... I don't know. I guess I like it when the, the players are viewing the game more as... Uh, as war rather than sport. And unless you have a character that's abiding by some chivalric code or something, I, I expect the players to choose the weapons that are going to be the most advantageous for whatever tasks is, is at hand. And if one of the benefits of going with D6 damage is to counter optimization and the resultant you know, fighters all seeming being the same. They all take sword and shield and longbow and maybe have a mace along or something. Um, you know, if that's the the goal, well, okay, maybe you've changed the sameness from a narrative point of view, but you've completely achieved sameness from an effects point of view. Because now everyone is exactly the same. In fact, not just fighters, but clerics are the same. And magic users are the same. Everyone's doing the same amount of damage. And to me, that would get just as boring as if all the fighters had long swords and all the clerics had hammers and all the magic users had daggers. You've achieved the same level of ennui to me. The last thing I'll say about the whole thing is that, to me, it would make a whole lot more sense if you wanted to have damage in categories that weren't determined by weapon type, it would make more sense to do it by class. So maybe fighters do a D D8 with any weapon because anything in their hands would be deadly. And clerics and thieves do a D6 and magic users do a D4. And that's what we do in Whisper Tales of Gore with magic users, is they can use any weapon they want, but they always do a D4 because they're not adept with weapons. And that works pretty good. But I've droned way, way too long on this subject, so let's end it there. If you have any comments, give me a call on the Anchor app, or you can leave a message at down and eat podcast at gmail.com and until i talk to you again don't go down in a heap ah!